Hey, it's Zach here, and super quick before we dive into the show. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you have subscribed to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter, because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'll even send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me slash newsletter. All right, on to today's episode. My name is Zach Arnold, and I'm a former Hollywood film and television editor turned career strategist and the creator of Optimize Yourself, where I help artists, creatives, and storytellers just like you design the more balanced, more sustainable, and more fulfilling creative career that you deserve. In a nutshell, I'm Tim Ferriss meets Ted Lasso, minus the mustache, because I am obsessed with both learning everything I can about optimizing human potential while also inspiring you to realize yours. If you are ready to step outside your comfort zone, let's dive right in and unlock the optimized version of you. Hello, and welcome to the Optimize Yourself podcast, where I share honest and candid conversations with best-selling authors, world-class athletes, Hollywood legends, elite experts in a variety of fields, as well as everyday people that are achieving extraordinary things. It means the world to me that with all the podcast choices out there, you have chosen to invest your valuable time, energy, and attention with me. Now, before we get started, don't forget to visit optimizeyourself.me slash podcast so you can subscribe, leave a review, and so you can also download your unique customized podcast playlist where I'm going to send you the five best expert interviews from our archives to help you achieve your specific goals. So on that note, without further ado, let's get right to today's guest. Given the vast amounts of fear and uncertainty that are surrounding the current job market, I thought that I'd give you a dose of inspiration, of motivation, and dare I say, even a little gratitude to remind us all of the resilience and the adaptability of the human race. On the heels of my recent conversation with Brad Stolberg, who is the author of the book Master of Change, which provides amazing and practical ways to adapt and develop resiliency in the face of change, as well as my recent conversation with disability advocate Taylor Lewis, I thought that I released this upcoming series to give you all a new appreciation for the growth that arises from adversity. For the next five weeks, I'm going to be releasing some of my favorite interviews with everyday people who have overcome insurmountable obstacles to achieve extraordinary things. In this top five series, you're going to hear from a wide range of guests who have faced extreme adversity and they have made it through to the other side to tell the tale. If you enjoy this top five playlist, I invite you after you listen today to visit optimizeyourself.me slash podcast to download your very own customized podcast playlist. And it's going to be based on your interests and your goals, and it's curated from our library of over 250 conversations. Again, you can get your free playlist at optimizeyourself.me slash podcast. All right, without further ado, here's the final part of this five interview series with Jimmy Choi, who's a motivational speaker, an advocate for Parkinson's research, an ultra endurance athlete, a Parkinson's patient, and he's an American Ninja Warrior. After getting diagnosed with early onset Parkinson's at age 27 and later falling into a very deep depression, Jimmy then turned his life around with one simple goal, just do better than yesterday. You can find the original show notes for this interview at optimizeyourself.me slash episode 67. I'm here today with Jimmy Choi, who is a motivational speaker and advocate for Parkinson's research. He's an ultra endurance athlete. He's a Parkinson's patient, which we're going to get into a lot more in this episode. But more important than most, he's a father of two, he's a husband, and he's a friend. And he's also going to be, I'm sure, one of my favorite guests in the history of this show. So Jimmy, I cannot express enough how excited I am that we were finally able to make this happen. Yes, I'm excited as well. And thank you for having me on. It really is an honor to be to be to take part in your show. And I'm looking forward to this conversation. Well, I really appreciate that. And there's so many things that I could dive into right away as far as the things that you've done to inspire me and to inspire, frankly, literally millions of people around the country and the world with the things that you've done. But where I actually want to start today is I want to talk about who Jimmy Choi was until age 27. Because as everybody's going to learn from your story, age 27 is where everything changed. But talk to me just a little bit so I understand who you were before everything turned. Yeah, um, so I don't know how far back you want to go, but I always like to go back to way back to the beginning because I think it's funny. Everything, you know, especially 
people my age would really get this. Some of your younger listeners may not get this, but you know, just like everything in the seventies, I was made in Taiwan. So I grew up in Taiwan um, and we came here to the United States when I was about 10 years old. Um, I've always been an athletic person uh, in my younger years. I've always been driven to do the best that I could in anything that I tried. But then again, my parents will tell you, maybe not so much in school because uh, who wants to read books when you can be outside playing and jumping and playing baseball and all this other stuff. But you know, that's essentially me. It's this, I've always been active uh, growing up, played uh, high school, uh, three sports in high school. I was a baseball player. I was a wrestler. I played football. I was captain of the football team. I went on to uh, to, to college and did uh, athletics there. Um, at one point, I was a, a golfer to the point where I was a couple of strokes away to qualifying for a PGA event. So, you know, that brings us pretty much to age, you know, in my, in my mid twenties, I graduated with, uh, with a, uh, computer programming technology, uh, degree, uh, with a, with a finance, uh, degree. So I had a double degree. Um, and I was working in, in the middle of the dot-com boom back in the early 2000s and 2003. One thing that, uh, that was important to me that I actually found very difficult to find in most of the other interviews and uh, things that you've done that are in the media was everybody was all about Jimmy Choi, the guy with Parkinson's that's overcome obstacles. And I thought to myself, I actually don't really know what you do for a living per se, or what you did for a living or who you were before all this happened, because everybody's always focusing on what seems to be the most important part of your identity, which is I have Parkinson's. But there's so much more to people than that. And I'm a little bit more interested to learn just when you're not Jimmy Choi with Parkinson's, which obviously is going to be the vast majority of this interview and the things that you've overcome, but just on a daily basis, what do you do for a living? What interests you? So it sounds like it's something in the finance, financial or computer sector, um, but I want to just get a sense of who you were as a person and who you still are when we're not talking about the disabilities that you've overcome. Yeah, you know, as I, I, I always like to say that um, I'm a, a father and a husband number one priority is always a father and a husband. Um, I try to teach my kids uh, the things that I like, you know, that I believe in, right? And especially recently, of course, the overcoming uh, obstacles and doing good for others, right? Uh, Paying it forward, especially with fundraising for a cause. And it doesn't necessarily have to be for Parkinson's research, any cause that they believe in. Um, So that's number one and foremost. But professionally, uh, I am an executive uh, in in the technology sector uh, for for, for many years. Um, Ever ever since college, I was a a programmer and then I went into consulting. Uh, From consulting, I went into uh, business with my family for a little bit. And then I'm uh, and then I went back to the consulting world. Um, but now uh, my profession is uh, I'm executive for a company called uh, RWS Moravia, which uh, we're based in London and based also based in the Czech Republic. Um, what's great about what I do and my entire schedule that allows me to do the things that I do in terms of uh, caring for myself and my family is that I do work European hours. And that's great because that makes me busy from the early morning hours, say, uh, you know, roughly 4.30 to 5 a.m. Um, all the way through, you know, around noontime. That gives me the afternoon uh, when the kids get back to school and hang out with them. That gives me time to train, uh, gives me time to do a lot of the things that, um, you know, when other people are working, that allows me to do all those things. Got it. So you're basically Clark Kent before lunch and Superman after lunch. <laughs> um, you know, my daughter thinks that way and, and, and I'm glad she does. Uh, but, but yes, that I, I think I have two different identities. It's, it's Jimmy Choi, the professional, and then Jimmy Choi, the crazy nut that everybody else has come to know. <laughs> Got it. Well, I love it because it, it was very difficult for me to really find anything just about you and the, what the regular day looks like. And the reason that that's important to me is because it's really difficult to see some of the things that you've accomplished and done. And we're going to talk about all of those later in the show. But to look at that and be like, oh, you know what? I could do that too. And I know that that's one of your unique talents is being able to share your story, but not say, look at how amazing I am and everything I've accomplished. 
let's look at the little things that I've done so you can understand that you can make these changes in your life too. So that's a, that's a big thing that I definitely want to talk about later. But where I want to go to now, now that we have this kind of, you know, a fairly good picture of who you were and what you were pursuing when you were younger. Let's talk about what happened in the doctor's office when you were 27 years old. So I'm going to take you back probably, uh, um, you know, a year before. So when I'm 26, I'm going to take you back to when I'm 26 before we get to 27. You know, nothing in my daily life has suggested that um, I should even be thinking about, you know, Parkinson's. Yes, I was already feeling uh, some of the some of the symptoms, but they were so early on that I never con- I could never connect the two because they felt like everyday things or everyday things can be used to explain what I was feeling. For example, minor twitches here and there. I mean, people get stressed out at work; they get you know twitches under the eye. They're you know they they they, they get these you know weird sensations just from stress, right? I can use that to explain away rigidity or the slowness in movement and being sore or just being slow in general, I was playing a lot of golf at the time. And, you know, walking 18 holes four to five times a week, carrying 40 pounds of golf clubs on your back, you're going to be sore. You're going to be, you're going to wake up with aches and pains and you're going to have these slowness in the morning until your body warms up. Um, So everything that I was feeling that was what I know now is you know, early on Parkinson's symptoms can be explained away with everyday things. So I didn't think anything about it until I bought life insurance. And the the nurse that came and did my insurance worked in a neurologist's office and did insurance on the side, insurance physicals on the side. And uh, our conversations that day really opened my eye. Um, she noticed things about me because she sees it day in and day out. She noticed things about the way that I moved that she piqued my interest in having me talk to my general practitioner. And uh, then that began the journey down uh, since, you know, towards the end of uh, 2012 into early 2013, uh, when I was 26 and 27, that I ultimately found myself sitting in my neurologist's office when they told me, Hey, Jimmy, we think you have Parkinson's. And that moment uh, was just so unreal to me that, number one, I had never even connected that Parkinson's is even possible at that age because all I knew is that it was a disease for old people. And I knew nothing else about it. So when they gave me the news, I'm like, you guys, you know, from my recollection, I swore a little bit. (laughs) Um, But, you know, it's basically, you're effing kidding me. There's no way that could be right. Um, but ultimately I went to two and three opinions later and all the specialists were saying the same thing. Um, then I had to come to grips with what I was ultimately dealing with at such a young age. Well, and when you say come to grips, that was a very slow process for you from my understanding of what you've been through so much so that you didn't even tell your wife about it for several months. Is that correct? Yes. It it took me three months before I even told my wife. Um, that I had been diagnosed with Parkinson's, um, and it was only I would have kept it longer, to be honest. If I didn't, if I didn't decide that I wanted to take some medicine, to take the medication, I I would have waited even longer. Obviously, if I'm starting to take meds, she's going to wonder, what the hell are you taking these things for? Um, so I had to tell her. And also, you were at the point in your life where you had just had your first child, was it? So in 2003, we hadn't. No, we we had just gotten married. Just gotten married. Um, that's right. Yeah, and uh, we didn't have our first child, uh, Karina, my daughter, until 2007. So four years later is when 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 we had our first kid. All right, so let's talk about that period then, because I know that this obviously was not the, the best period of your life that I think you love to talk about the most, but I think it's necessary to understand this part of the journey so we can then understand the later parts of the journey. So what were these first few years like and how long did it really take you to hit that point of acceptance? So uh, the first few years was just, you know what, if, I, if I'm still young and I can power through this, that was basically the... The mentality. You know, I was given information, pamphlet, a booklet when I was diagnosed. I didn't even bother opening it. You know, I talked to the doctors and they're like, you know, you can try taking taking medicine and all these little aches and pains and all these little symptoms that that you're feeling, uh, it could go away or 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 it, you just don't know until you try. So I figured, you know what, that's exactly what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna take this pill 
and that everything is going to get masked and everything is just going to go away out of mind, out of sight. So that's essentially what I did for the next eight years. Now, what's worse on top of that is that over eight years, obviously, progression of a chronic disease will happen. Um, I took the same pill. I didn't go back to my neurologist other than to to get prescription refills. Um, and I usually and I often did that over the phone. And I didn't go back to my movement disorder specialist or my neurologist at the time to talk about things that are changing in the way that I was moving, things that I was changing in my daily life. Um, and I just took the same dose and the same pill and this and 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 did essentially the same initially to prescribe the treatment that I was given for the next eight years. That's how much denial I was, is that this little pill, this little magical pill is going to prevent me from progressing and it's going to allow me to live my life and allow me to continue my aspirations, raising a family, you know, getting ahead and, 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 and professionally, uh, you know, building my life and my family the way I envisioned I would back when I first got married. Well, one thing that I want people to to understand a little bit better, because when we're talking about a disease and Parkinson's is the disease in this case, and it's a matter of, well, you know what, it's not curable, but I'm taking this pill. I realize now that there might be some people that don't really understand that much about Parkinson's. And I think because of people like Michael J. Fox and unfortunately Muhammad Ali and a few very high profile people, we have a basic understanding in our general culture of what Parkinson's is. It's like, oh, well, somebody's having a little bit trouble, you know, they're shaking or they they have tremors. But as you dig deeper, there's a lot more to it. So can you just give us like just a very broad, um, you know, couple minute overview, just so we understand some of the basic symptoms and how they manifest beyond what we might have seen on television? Yeah. And you know, and you're, you hit it right in the nose. One of the things that people on, you know, immediately goes to when you hit, they hear the word Parkinson's is tremors, right? But most people don't know that about 30% of people with Parkinson's will never have the tremors. Right? And yet they still have Parkinson's. So the, the way that I best like to describe it to people is, is this way. Think of it this way. There's a, there, there's a part of your brain that is dying. Okay, And that part of the brain is the, our neurons that produce dopamine, which helps you control your movement. That part of the brain is slowly dying off. And over time, you're going to produce less and less dopamine. And with less and less dopamine, you're going to lose your ability to move and to control your muscles. And, and, and this comes onset in, in people in various different forms. Some people will have the tremors. Some people can completely freeze. It's just how your body reacts to that lack of dopamine. And, and it is progressive means that, it's, that, that the cells continue to die off, okay? And along with that, it doesn't just affect what your movement Let's, let's think about it. Parts of your brain is dying off. You're gonna, there's other areas in, mentally that's going to be affected as well. Depression is, is one. Dopamine uh, helps drive movement, which helps drive uh, ad uh, adrenaline and, and endorphins, which, which are all the, the happy receptors in your brain, right? Without that, you, you're likely to go into depression. So these are things that we deal with. Loss of executive functions. Uh, sometimes we just can't get words out of our out of our, out of our mouths, even though they're right there and we know what we want to say. And that's another thing. Other things that happens that aren't visible to people are, if you think about it, things inside your body that your your, your brain controls can also be affected, right? Constipation. And I always use this as an example because um, you know bowel movements is is mostly controlled. With Parkinson's, it's when you have trouble, you're you're not going to move you're not going to move things through your system as, as efficiently as, as everybody else. So you have to deal with constipation and it can become painful after, you know, after a few days without going, as you can imagine. And other things too, anything that's a heart, that, that is a, that is a muscle can be affected. Your heart is a muscle. Okay. A lot of people with Parkinson's deal with hypotension issues, like standing up too fast and their, your, your heart just not able to keep up with the blood pressure. And they have a tendency to, to be lightheaded and sometimes even faint. And the last thing, last example I'll give that most that people don't see is that I can actually not hear out of my right ear because of the little muscles that controls the your eardrums that flap and that extend and, and, and loosen your eardrums to help you hear is constantly moving in my ear. And all I hear out of my right ear is this constant flapping. 
So if you take your hand and just slap your ear on, on the right side, you know, uh, over and over again, that's what I hear out of one side. And you can imagine how, dis, you know, how disruptive that could be on a daily basis. These are things that people don't see. And these are things that, that people don't uh, associate with Parkinson's. And, you know, I'm glad you asked this question because now it, it, hopefully your listeners can get a better appreciation of, of exactly how debilitating this, this, this disease is outside of the tremors that they see. And full disclaimer to my audience, don't slap your right ear repeatedly over and over and over <laughs> to experience this. I would really appreciate not getting a lawsuit because you're deaf. <laughs> Uh, so just want to put that out there just to be safe. Um, one other symptom that I'd like you to talk a little bit more about, and it's going to relate a lot later once we start talking about all the athletics that you are involved with, is this idea of dystonia and you describing basically having a 24-hour cramp. Yeah, and, and that's exactly what it is. So dystonia comes in the onset at any, any time, and it goes away when it wants to go away. Um, so imagine getting a cramp, a charley horse, um, or anything like that. Uh, and parts of your body, and and it just stays there for hours at a time, or or, or even 24 hours, just nonstop. There's absolutely zero relief from it um, on, on on a daily basis. For some, it, it's the onset of that is different for everybody. I get it mostly in my neck and shoulders, and also in my foot. Um, other people can get it uh, at any part of their body that's a that that's a muscle, in their fingers, uh, in in their lower back and in their pec, pectorals, um, anywhere. And it's when that, when that happens, it's really painful. And again, when you're trying to concentrate on, on doing your work or you're concentrate on taking care of your child, you're concentrating on, on something as simple as taking a phone call, it becomes really tough when you're constantly experiencing that pain. Well, you've definitely painted enough of a picture that I'm not thinking, oh, Parkinson's, that must be annoying because your hands shake, right? So we, we now have a much better idea that that's not the case. And we have an understanding of some of the progression that got you through or that you experienced for those first eight-ish years or so. Um, so I want you to just talk a little bit more about when you hit that moment of rock bottom, when you literally hit rock bottom, and also kind of where you were at that time, because as I remember, you were what about seventy or eighty pounds heavier than you are now. Yeah, because of you know, when, as Parkinson's progressed, I became less and less active. I stopped playing golf. I stopped, uh, you know, playing basketball and baseball, and stopped being active in general. Um, and along with that uh, comes, you know, I wasn't taking care of myself. Uh, with nutrition. So then came weight gain. I was up to 240 pounds in 2010, around that time. And my rock bottom moment came in 2010. Not only was I heavier version of me, 240 pounds at 5'8", so I was a big guy. Um, I was walking with a cane because I couldn't keep balance and I kept falling over. Um, I was angry. I was depressed. Um, I was yelling at, you know, screaming at my kids. I mean, two-year-old, my daughter, two-year-old Karina, screaming at her. Just imagine, you know, a full-grown person leaning over a two-year-old child and screaming at her for no good reason because she spilled some milk or some apple juice. I don't remember what it was. But in, as if that moment wasn't bad enough, um, it was around October of uh, 2010, I was walking then my nine-month-old son uh, down the stairs, and uh, we both fell. And uh, we fell uh, down a full flight of stairs. And that was my rock bottom moment because literally when I hit the bottom, and uh, thank goodness I was able to keep Mason above my body uh, the best that I can, um, ultimately that moment made me take a good hard look at myself and decide, okay, this is this is – this is the time you need to decide, Jimmy. Are you going to continue to put your kids and your family in danger just by just by picking them up, just by playing with them or trying to play with them? Or are you going to do something to make yourself better so that you, be, you can contribute to, to helping Cheryl raise, Cheryl's my wife, by the way, help her raise our, our family the way that the best that we can despite living with the disease. So it was at that moment that I had to make a decision for myself. You know, it could have gone either way. I'll, I'll be honest with you, um, but I decided that I owe it to my wife. I owe it to my kids to to try to make a change. 
Well, and this is now the point in most people's stories that can be the most terrifying because they know that something needs to be done. But oftentimes the very first step is the hardest one. And the way that you approach it, I think, is the right way that most people need to approach that first step and the step after and the step after. So what happened right here? And what was the very first practical action step that got you moving forward? Well, you know, I, I think that there was the first step was 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 panic. It was that 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 oh crap moment that, okay, now what do I do? I don't know. Really the first thing I needed to do was educate myself on actually what Parkinson's is. Because remember up to this point, eight years later, I haven't opened the pamphlet that I was given when I was first diagnosed. So of course we get online, we start searching things online. And this is 2010. Google is still pretty new. Uh, so I was asking Jeeves. I was Yahoo's searching. I was on Lycos, whatever whatever it took. Um, and I was looking for information and really educating myself. And for the first time, I, I learned about the disease. Yes, it can affect people that are younger like myself. And this is what people are doing to uh, to, to, to live the best that they can with the disease. Um, and then for the first time, I went to my doctors and really had questions to ask. Okay, what do I need to do? This is where I am right now. How can you help me get better? How, so so we, we adjusted my medication. And then also at the same time, looking up the information, I found my, my, my first true calling, which was clinical trials. I noticed that there were a lot out there and not enough participants. And that's what I was going to do. I was going to be, I was going to give up my body for science and hopefully help contribute to, to, to finding the cure because I'm certainly not smart enough to find a cure myself. And I certainly didn't have the means to fund it. So I was going to be a part of the community by participating in clinical trials. So I signed up for as many as I possibly could. And whoever I qualify for, whoever called me and wanted me to take part, I, I obliged and, and, and I went through all of the the requirements of the trial. Um, and that provided me with a lot of information and a lot of education. And that's kind of how I took the next turn in my, in my journey is that with all of these clinical trials, I noticed one thing that was in common, and that is physical activity. So every single trial that I took part in, whether it's taking a pill, whether it's getting an injection, whether it's uh, just some questionnaires, there's always a part of that trial that comes back and focuses on how much exercise are you doing? Um, how much, it, 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 uh, you know, uh, what types of exercises are you doing? So it got me intrigued. And one of the trials that I had to part participate in was one that's around forced physical movement, where I worked with a physical therapist and, and she uh, forced movements on me, whether or not it's on a, on, on a stationary bike or she was physically moving my, my, my legs and my arms for me, I noticed that the more I did, the better I felt. So there was a light, there was a light bulb moment there. Uh, then I, you know what, maybe I actually just do more of this on my own at home instead of when I'm at the clinics. So I started to incorporate more movement around the house. I started walking around the block with my family and as you can see, that's bring, also bringing me closer to my family. It's also giving me, allowing me to spend more time with them. Um, and then when I got comfortable, I left my cane at home and I started walking around the block with my cane. And it really is, that first step really was the hardest step. You got to want to do it. Okay. And then once you do it, you, you got to want it to continue taking subsequent steps and then build on your successes one step at a time. You got to break down this, this giant goal of me living, the goal obviously is to live without symptoms, but in order for me to get there, and, and I'm not there yet, even to this day, um, but in order for me to get there, I've got to break down my goals to these little steps. And that's how I approached it. And I'm assuming when you were walking around the block for the first time, first with your cane, then you eliminate the cane, then there's, you know, you, you walk further or whatever it is. I'm guessing at that point, you weren't thinking, the goal for me is I'm going to run over a hundred half marathons and a bunch of full marathons, and I'm going to be an obstacle course racer and run ultimate endurance events, and I'm going to be an American Ninja Warrior. Like I'm guessing, none of that was probably there at the time, right? None of that was there at all. It, it, it was really, literally, just how far can I get today? And then tomorrow I come back. How far can I get 
today that was better than yesterday, more today than yesterday. That was constantly the thought. And I share that with my family and my wife, who is my biggest cheerleader. She's always there at, at, at events, at races and things like that. And she's always at the finish line. She's always pushing me. Okay, let's take it a little longer today. Let's, let's move more today. To have that support is absolutely key to success. My sincerest apologies for the interruption, but if you're a creative professional who spends long hours at your workstation, not only is the following promo not an interruption, but listening has the potential to change your life. Because working with a topo mat underneath you at a height adjustable workstation is a game changer. Let's learn a little bit more from ErgoDriven co-founder and CEO Kit Perkins, creator of the topo mat. The topo mat is the first anti-fatigue mat designed specifically for standing desks. The real benefit of a standing desk is movement. We found bringing in this cushioned terrain under your feet, your brain just subconsciously engages and you wander around and you get that movement at the standing desk that you need without even having to think about it at all. People will come to me at an event or a panel and they'll say, I got the topo mat because of you. Even when they had a mat, once they used this one, it was a total game changer. We've just heard time and time again that with topo, we've kind of hit the sweet spot that it's the right premium quality materials and a right shape that people are actually getting benefit out of this stuff. You spend more time here than anywhere if you do creative work the way that I do. So I would rather be driving around in a Ferrari than a Ford Pinto. And I feel like this is the Ferrari of the standing mat. One of the things you don't realize is that at a standing desk, your main interface to the world, your body's main interface to the world is the ground. If you're going to invest in anything at that Ferrari level, it should be what you're standing on. Well, my goal is that for anybody that is a creative professional like myself that's stuck in front of a computer for inordinate amounts of time of their waking life, they're doing it standing on a tilt Matt. So uh, you and I, my friend, one edit station at a time are going to change the world. I like it. That's a utopian vision I can get on board with. If you're a creative professional looking for a simple and affordable way to stay active, energetic, and focused while spending long hours at your height adjustable workstation, I can't stress enough how important it is to have the right mat underneath you, which is why I continue to share the Topo Mat as my number one product recommendation. To learn more about the Topo Mat and purchase yours, visit optimizeyourself.me Topo. That's T-O-P-O. Well, and to, to me, the the if I were to break down everything that you've accomplished, everything that you've done, you've been through, it really does come down to this mantra that you have, which is that I have to be better than yesterday. I feel like this is the key that so many people miss when they decide that they want to go after a goal, is they either set their goal way too small, so they're not inspired by it, or they set it way too big and they're overwhelmed and they're terrified of it because they think, well, if my goal is to run a marathon and I can barely get around the block, well, this marathon program online that I just signed up for says that I need to run four miles today. All right, I'll go run four miles. And oh my God, was that an awful experience. I'm so sore. I'm never doing that again. This is so stupid, right? Absolutely. But if you break it down to better than yesterday, you're pushing yourself outside your comfort zone to say, you know what? I maxed out at three burpees today. I just, my God, that third one, I thought I was going to throw up. But I know I can do three burpees. I know I'm capable of it. So that means I need to find out if I can do four of them tomorrow, right? Yep, yep, absolutely, exactly. And that's and that's how I approach things. And it's not just that, right? It's the, the other thing. And we can, we'll, we can talk for, for hours and hours about this. The things that I've learned in the last seven and a half years after that fall, the things that I learned about myself and, and how to live with, with an, you know, let's not even talk about Parkinson's, how to live with adversity um, is that when you're training, and it doesn't apply physically. I mean, it's basically everything that you do in life. Anything that you do, okay, uh, should have a purpose. And that purpose is to help you in your in your ultimate goals. So, you know, one example is, and since you brought up the burpees, and I, I love using this analogy, is one of the problems that I had, and I had to use the cane is because I was falling a lot. And when I was running a lot, I was still falling. That never really went away. Um, it just happened less frequently. But then I realized, you know what? In order for me to fall, I have to learn how to control my fall and I have to learn how to get myself back up safely, right? And what movement, when it comes to training, mimics all that? And that's a burpee. I'm forcing myself to get down on the ground and I'm forcing myself to brace the, the initial contact to the ground and I'm forcing myself to get back up by building strength to get back up. 
right? So everything that I do in training has to apply to how I want to live every day, in this case with the disease, and how it's going to help me so that I'm building that muscle memory so that I can better my daily existence with the disease. I mean, people look at these training, look at my training schedule and they're like, that's, that's crazy. You, you know, what, you know, you're, you're doing this, is this just to get better at, at running? Is this get, get better at Ninja Warrior? Yes, yes, and yes. But it also helps me live better on a daily basis. Well, and that one of the reasons that I love really breaking down the mindset of somebody that's dealt with extreme adversity is that, yes, like you said, you you have Parkinson's, but it's no longer about you having Parkinson's or having a disease. It's about you dealing with adversity and overcoming obstacles. And guess what? Everybody has their own form of that. Yes. And for you, it was literally learning how to fall gracefully and get back up because your adversity has to do with falling and lack of balance. But for other people, there are other obstacles that they need to overcome. And this becomes a fantastic metaphor. But for you, it wasn't a metaphor. It was literal. Yes. So, you know, and, and that's why I enjoy breaking all this down. Um, and what I'd love to uh, help the audience understand now is now that we have a, a clear understanding of the mindset of being better than yesterday, going one small step further and doing something uncomfortable but not overwhelming, how did you progress from the guy getting rid of the cane, walking around the block, to jogging around the block, to all of a sudden getting into running and marathons and ultra marathons in Spartan. Yeah, it, you know, it, I think my progression in terms of my my activity, uh, you know, followed sort of it, it 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 all led from one thing to another, right? And when I first started just walking around the block, I'm like, hey, you know what? Maybe I can start jogging a little bit. So it's all about building that 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 you know, going back to that better than yesterday mentality, you know, like today I walked around the block four times without my cane, right? Maybe tomorrow I can walk three times around the block and jog once around the block, right? Let's see how far I can get. And that jogging became running. And to be honest, even at the, even at the time when I'm starting to run around the blocks a couple of times, I never even had the word marathon or the word half marathon in my head. It wasn't until, uh, you know, things have to fall in line, has to fall in order. My brother-in-law was doing a lot of running at the time, and he just looked like he was having a lot of fun doing just 5Ks. Um, and then I got in the plane on a business trip, and I saw that Runner's World magazine that was sitting in, in my seat front back pocket. And it's not something that, that's not a magazine that's always there, right? Someone left it there. And then I picked it up and I opened it. And there was an article in there about a gentleman with Parkinson's running a marathon. And that was, to me, that's a signal, right? And it wasn't even to run a marathon. It was a signal for me to start running maybe a 5K. So I told my wife that night, hey, I'm going to do a 5K. Um, I'm going to start training and I'm going to run a 5K. And I did that. So that was, gonna, that was my next goal. And so, so then I pushed my, my running, you know, a couple of times around the block to a mile. And then that mile became a mile and a half. That mile and a half became two, et cetera. And when finally I completed that first 5K. And when I did, I'm like, well, how far, how much further can I go? That was in April of 2012. By May, I was doing uh, a five miler. Um, by June, I was doing a 10K. And by September of, of, of that year, I did my first half marathon. And as soon as I crossed that finish line of the half marathon, I knew right away that there's no other way for me to go except to a marathon. So I just kept pushing. And this is how, I went from 5K to half marathon to marathon. And when I finished that first marathon, I just wanted to keep going. And I started doing, I realized that running has become my medicine. It has become part of my treatment. And I just went from there and I got hooked. And I started running. The weight was coming off and that felt wonderful. I was becoming more fit. I was able to move better. I was playing with my kids. I could see my daughter uh, and I could see my wife and I could see my son cheering for me at the, at the finish line. And that made me feel really good. Um, and then ultimately, you know what, what, what else can I do? What else can I do? Because if you stay with something long enough, it becomes routine. And if it becomes routine, it's no longer challenging. If you're not challenging your body, you're not moving forward. At least that's the way I thought. So then I started cycling. And then I started swimming. So I added triathlons to the, to the mix. You know, I was fortunate enough to be uh, the first person with Parkinson's on record to complete a 100-mile bike ride in under five hours. 
it's a sub five challenge they call it. Um, and essentially just imagine holding a 20, more than a 20 mile per hour average on your bike for five hours where in my case it's four hours and 56 minutes. That's not hard for somebody with Parkinson's. That's just hard for anybody. Like we're, we're not just, we're, we're not even talking about, Oh, you've done well for somebody with Parkinson's. You're now kind of getting to that point where you're surpassing what the vast majority of, as you would say, fully abled body people are, can accomplish. And we're going to go way deeper into that rabbit hole. But I just, I want to, I feel like we've now surpassed the point in your journey where it's no longer about good job guy with Parkinson's. Like right. we, we passed that point. And, and, and that's one of my goals, right? Like we talked about these small little goals building up to, to the, all the bigger goals. One of the, one of my goals is, is, is not to be seen as the guy with Parkinson's first. I want to be, I want to be looked at as Jimmy is the, is, is the athlete first. He's athlete that happens to have Parkinson's, not the Parkinson's patient who happens to run or who happens to do X, Y, and Z. So that was one of my goals. And, and, uh, hopefully I, I, you know, I'm, I'm able to achieve that because my peers in the sports that, that I am, whatever that I'm doing, whether it's running or crossfitting or, or obstacle course racing, um, I believe that's how they see me. Um, and that's, that's one of the things I'm really proud of. Now, what I'm wondering now is what was the, I mean, the, we hear about the marathons, you're not doing the triathlons and I would assume it's a similar progression to obstacle course racing, but to go from all of this to being on American Ninja Warrior, like that's really the gasoline that was thrown on the fire and just everything started to explode. So what was the genesis specifically of American Ninja Warrior? So my, my daughter, it all goes back to my daughter. I mentioned that to, in her eyes, I'm Superman, right? Um, and she never thought that there was any limitation to what I could do because she never grew up knowing me without Parkinson's. And she, from the time that she can remember, I've already started running and I started my transformation. So all she can remember is daddy doing, running, you know, uh, 26 miles, daddy running, uh, you know, 50 Ks, daddy cycling a hundred miles. That's all she knows. So to her, there's nothing I couldn't achieve. And she loved the show American Ninja Warrior. Um, she, she goes to a, a, a local, I take her to a local gym where she can, where she can do some of the obstacles and she became really good at it. Um, she became hooked on the show and every year it came on season five, season six, season seven, season eight, every year it came on. She's like, daddy, you got to get on the show. Daddy, you got to get on the show. And I always had an excuse for her. I don't have the upper body. I'm a runner. I don't have the upper body strength. I'm, um, I have Parkinson's. My balance is terrible. I'm going to go out on, on the balance obstacles every single time. But she kept persisting and kept pushing me. Um, many people don't know this, um, but I'm actually not the first person with Parkinson's to compete on American Ninja Warrior. In uh, in 2016, there was a there was a woman who competed uh, with Parkinson's, and uh, she even before her story was finished, my daughter turned to me and said, "What's your excuse again?" And that was that was the gasoline that she threw <laughs> into the fire. And it was at that moment that I, I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm completely out of excuses. And I've become that guy who, who has become complacent, so to speak, right? There's a challenge that was issued to me my daughter, by my daughter for years, and I didn't take on that challenge. But now is the time to do it. So that's when I, when I uh, submitted an application for American Ninja Warrior. To be honest with you, they've done this story. It's reality television. I didn't think they would do it again. And I thought I was off the hook with my daughter. Um, <laughs> But when they called me uh, in 2017, uh, five weeks before I was to compete, there was just a onslaught of panic that happened after I received that phone call. Because, you know, yeah, I, I, I did a few Spartan races, a few uh, mud runs, but the obstacles are nothing like what we see on the show. And I have to literally go through a crash course of, of training to get to, to do as, as, as best as I can on my first, in my first time out there. I have spent almost 10 years now raving about how much I love my topo mat. And I have finally discovered what I now consider the topo mat of desk chairs, the Core 360. The Core 360, spelled Q-O-R, is designed to keep me constantly moving while seated in an upright and balanced position. To learn more about how it works, 
let's hear from Core360 founder, Dr. Turner Osler, about why he created the Core360 active sitting chair. When you sit badly, you sit badly for many hours a day. And that's really what the problem is. It's very hard to make yourself get up and do jumping jacks every half hour. But if you just swap to a chair that requires you to be muscularly engaged in order not to fall off, it's an easy bar to clear. For the procrastinators out there who hear all of the statistics and know how bad sitting is and it's the new smoking and they're thinking, that's something I'll worry about in a few decades, you're gonna feel the effects of having more energy at two o'clock in the afternoon or four o'clock in the afternoon that day. And that's the whole point. Your core muscles will be stronger. You'll have less back pain. All of this will make you more available for the rest of the pursuits of your life, your kids, your hobbies, your whatever. For those of us who need to practically live in front of computers to do our best creative work, the Core 360 is going to level up your game. Keep your body moving and keep the creativity flowing. To learn more and purchase what I consider to be the topo mat of desk chairs, please go to optimizeyourself.me slash core 360. That's optimizeyourself.me slash QOR360. Well, one of the things that uh, I'm going to link to, and it's a really, really small thing, but it's also a really big thing. Um, you posted on Instagram, a f- I don't know, maybe it was a few days, a few weeks ago, whatever it is, I'll make sure to link to it so people can see it. But this is the perfect microcosm of you're not a guy with Parkinson's that went on American Ninja Warrior that's super fit for somebody with Parkinson's. You're just a guy that's really fit, that's really strong, that was on American Ninja Warrior that happens to also have this disease. And what I want to specifically post, because it just blew my mind and it was kind of my what's my excuse moment, was people ask you the question, well, how do you balance your nutrition with exercise? And I love your sense of humor because you're like, I'm going to show you how I balance the two. And you got on a bar stool and you did pistol squats while you were cracking and cooking an egg. And for anybody that doesn't know what a pistol squat is there, it's like, it's to me, it's my holy grail. If I could just do a pistol squat someday, then I will be so elated with myself. But you're basically doing a one-legged squat until your butt touches your heel. And you're doing it on a bar stool in your kitchen while you're cracking eggs. And I was like, come on, right? <laughs> like, you're so full of it. You don't have Parkinson's. Like, normal <laughs> people can't do this stuff. But you know what? I, I'm, I'm glad you said that because this is the first time I'm telling the story. You know what was the, the uh, inspiration uh, for that video? Hmm. Is I, I belong on another on, on, a, on a Parkinson's um, uh, Facebook group. And the people in this group are all about uh, exercise and using exercise to live better. And another gentleman uh, on in that group, they were doing these challenges um, where they're doing pistol squats. They're 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 they're. I don't know if you ever seen the uh, um, the challenge where you you have to squat down on one leg and pick up a piece of paper, fold a piece of paper from the ground. These are people with Parkinson's doing this, right? And I'm supposed to be this anomaly where I'm not, I just happen to have a camera in front of me. There are guys out there, guys and gals out there with Parkinson's doing crazy stuff, right? And they were the inspirations for that video because I saw someone else do a different version of that. Now they weren't cooking an egg and they weren't on a bar stool, but they were doing pistol squats. A person with Parkinson's doing pistol squats, pistol squats, and they were picking up, um, you know, pieces of paper on the ground. Uh, and and the challenge goes on because we were ultimately we were doing handstand push-ups, picking up pens from the ground, um, you know, upside down. So the inspiration for that came from other people with Parkinson's. And I think this is important for your listeners to know that, you know, people see me on TV and they see they, they read articles about me and they think that I am I am this this uh, anomaly in the Parkinson's world. It's I'm not. I just happen to have a platform to share this with the world. But I am constantly inspired by people that walked across America in 67 days, breaking the world record uh, with Parkinson's. He did 43 miles a day for 67 straight days walking across America. Uh, Another gentleman um, ran seven marathons in seven days on seven continents. Another gentleman can, uh, can deadlift uh, what is it, 680 pounds or is it 860 pounds? I don't remember, but either way, both of those numbers are crazy. These are people with Parkinson's doing these crazy things and they just don't have the platform that I have. Um, but 
I want the, 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 your listeners to know that if you, again, forget Parkinson's, if you just break down your goals to that, to that better than yesterday or, to, or, or taking that next step, um, anything is achievable. So for these guys to, to do this, and they're the ones that, that inspire me to continue to push myself, um, it's a two-way street for me. I, people tell me that I'm an inspiration to them, but they don't know that they are an inspiration to me. So it is a two-way street. And I'm so glad you brought up this concept of, well, it's, you know, I'm the guy that has this platform and everybody's looking at me as the American Ninja Warrior with Parkinson's, but you're saying I'm not really special, right? It's, I'm just a guy that figured out how to break down goals and do all these things. And the, that was one of the reasons that I uh, really gravitated to you specifically in the first place is that's a very similar platform that I have. And obviously I don't have a, as pronounced of a physical disability or the platform that you do, but I'm a big believer that everybody has a disability, which is an idea that came from originally a, a man named Christopher Rush, who I did a documentary film about, who was the first quadriplegic to become a scuba diver. And yes. he would always say that everyone has a disability. And what you need to do is focus on what you can do and what your abilities are. And I will always tell people the same thing that will look at me in my industry where I'm at a pretty high level in my industry at this point, And I'll say, listen, I'm not special. I'm not a unique snowflake and I don't have all these amazing gifts. I just work really, really hard. But what's more important than just working hard is working hard on the right things. Mm -hmm. And for me, the sweet spot that we've already been talking about, but just to make sure that everybody understands that all of us can apply this, is I'm just finding something that's outside my comfort zone, but that I can still do. So it's not something that's so overwhelming that I wouldn't be able to do it and I would fail. It's something that I can do, but it's really, really hard to do and when I come up against something that I can't do, what I've learned to say, and this is something that uh, comes a lot from spending a lot of time with Tony Horton, is it's not that I can't do it. It's that I currently struggle with, or what I always tell my son is when my son or my daughter say can't, I'm like, you're missing one word from your sentence. That word is yet, right? right? You just yeah, need to absolutely. find that sweet spot. And trust me, the, the thing for me, like just starting my American Ninja Warrior journey a little bit over a year ago Part of it was, well, I really want to get down to the science and the art of breaking down really difficult goals. I can't do that by reading. I need to throw myself into the fire if I'm going to research heat, right? Absolutely. And what I discovered were I had so many weaknesses in so many different areas because I've spent two decades in front of a computer doing film and television editing. And yeah, I'd done a few Spartan races and I'd done P90X once before. And I was in shape per se for somebody my age in my industry but I didn't realize how out of shape I really was and how far I was from even being able to think that I was an athlete. But I said, all right, if the goal is Ninja Warrior, let's see where I am now. Well, when I grab a ring and I try to swing from one ring to the next one, I don't even have the grip strength to do that yet. So that happened to me about two years ago at a Spartan race in the multi-rig. And yes. I said, wow, this is pretty pathetic. And if I can't grab a ring and swing to the second one, I'm certainly not going to be a Ninja Warrior. So guess what? I have to focus on grip strength and forearm strength and pinch strength. Oh, mm -hmm. guess what? In my first CrossFit class, I blew my back out because I couldn't get into the squat position. It wasn't even heavy weights. It was just the bar. But when I get into the position, I heard a pop. I was like, oh my oh. God, I'm a lot older than I thought, right? <laughs> but it wasn't about, wow, I can't get into the squat position. It was, I can't do it yet. So what little thing can I do that I can focus on? So I developed a very intimate relationship with a lacrosse ball for a long time to learn how to roll out all the very specific muscles. So my yeah. one thing for over a month that I focused on was not getting on American Ninja Warrior. It was opening up my glute med and my hip flexors. Something that I can do that was very uncomfortable, but it was just that mindset over and over and over. And then going to Tony Horton's house and not being able to get up a pegboard or not being able to go across whatever the, the ring obstacle was. And it was like, you know what, next week, I need to get to the next peg or I need to get one level higher on the pegboard or whatever it is. And now the progression that I've seen over the course of a year or so, I'm not even the same person. I don't even recognize who I am, but it was just these one little tiny steps every single day. You're breaking down your goals. That's exactly what you're doing and have, making it achievable. And then once you achieve it, you're pushing it out. That's absolutely, you know, one of the things that you said rang, rang a bell with me and, and uh, you know, you talked about, uh, you know, being being fit and doing these things, and then you go and try something new, and you realize you're not good at it just because you're fit, right? I, I have this saying: 
um, that I tell people all the time is that, and, and I say this to myself and I say this to them, is that you are not as fit as you think you are. Okay. And I say that to myself all the time. And, and let me tell you, let me tell you the realization for this is that after I ran my, I forget, it was my, either my third or fourth marathon. And it was, and it was all in the same year. It was like three marathons in a year, 2014 or 2015. And around that time, I'm like, there's nothing that I can't do because I can run for, for, for hours at a time, right? I'm fit, but there's nothing that I can't do. And then there I was in a hotel and the elevators broke. So I decided I can run a marathon. I'm gonna just go up eight flights to my room. And I went up those stairs and I realized how out of breath I am because of the different movement that you're doing and the different muscle groups that you're doing and your body is reacting differently to it. I just realized how out of shape I am when it came to climbing stairs versus just running in the straight line. And then that same thing happened when I got on a bike for the first time. That motion, you think motion of cycling and, and, and running are similar? They're not. And you know, I, I couldn't do as much as I thought that I could. Same thing with obstacle course and American Ninja Warrior. You know, come on, I'm, I'm strong. I can do this. But you get up there and it's just you are never as fit as you think you are. So that's why there's always something to work towards. Yeah, and that's it's funny you bring that up because that's one of my favorite things about doing these uh, Sunday ninja workouts with Tony Horton and this crew of people that he does it with is every week there's usually at least one or two guys that have never been there before that a friend asked over. And usually they're pretty buff. They're pretty fit. Um, they come in and like, hey, what's up, guys? Like kind of doing the alpha thing. But there are so many different varied types of exercises. Some of them are pull. Some of them are ninja hanging and swinging. Some of them are push obstacles. But there's a lot of gymnastics types obstacles like on parallel bars and handstand push-ups and stuff like that. Everybody at these workouts is horrible at at least one of the 16 exercises that we do over the course of four hours. Everybody, including Tony Horton. Even he sucks at one of them so badly that he named the exercise the Not Tony because he can't do it well and he's never been able to do it well. This is Tony freaking Horton, right? right. <laughs> but it's so humbling to see that no matter who comes through there, they're always really good at one or two things and they always suck at at least one or two things. And it always makes you think, wow, I can always get better at something. I'm thinking, like you said, I'm a marathon runner, eight flights of steps, that's nothing. And then the flights kick your ass, right? Yep, exactly. So it's really important to realize that whatever it is that you're going after and it, this metaphor extends far beyond just training for ninja or physical stuff. But there's always something you can learn more about, even if you're in some specific, you know, expert niche, there's always something you can learn more about and get better at. Yeah, absolutely. And you're absolutely right. It applies to just everything in life. So the last question that I want to ask you, which I think is, uh, is an important one for perspective, and I know that you've mentioned the people have asked you this before, but what is your response when somebody says to you, look at everything that you're doing? Can you imagine how much better you'd be at all this if you didn't have Parkinson's? Yeah. You know, uh, and people say that to me all the time, right? About marathon running. Can you imagine how much faster you'd be? I mean, I, I, I did it. My fastest marathon was three, 340. My fastest half marathon was an hour and an hour and I think under hour and 39 minutes or something like that. And that's top 10% in, in any of those races. Um, but you know what? To be honest, if I was never diagnosed with Parkinson's, I don't think I would be doing any of this. I would just live, I would just went on to whatever my plans for, or what I thought my, my 23 year old self thought my plans for life was gonna be. And that's exactly what it was gonna be. There was, you know, without being diagnosed with Parkinson's, there wouldn't, there, there wouldn't be any running in my life. There wouldn't be American Ninja Warrior in my life. Um, there wouldn't be obstacle course racing. There wouldn't be the bond that I have with my kids um, doing all this stuff together with them because they're able to travel with me. Um, as much as the disease takes away, as much as it takes away, there really is so much that it has given me in return. And, uh, you know, Parkinson sucks and I would never, ever wish that on anybody, even, and you know, not even the worst of my enemies. Um, but at the same time, it, it has I have to look at it from a positive angle and that Parkinson's has given me these opportunities these opportunities to live a, 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 the best life that I can with the disease and the opportunities to help others by showing them by example of exactly how it is that they, they too can live better despite 
whatever it is they're faced with. Forget Parkinson's, whatever adversity they have, um, it's it's breaking things down and 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 moving it forward, uh, and hopefully inspiring them to 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 get up and move. And if I can get one person out of the chair, it's a win for me. Yeah, and the reason that I bring that question up specifically is because it all comes down to one thing, which I think is so important, which is perspective. That when you were 27 years old and being told that you have young onset Parkinson's, I would imagine the thought that anybody would have in their mind is why me? This is the worst thing that could ever happen to me. But that thing has become one of the defining factors of where your life is now. And you've turned an obstacle into an opportunity. And I bring that up because so many people face obstacles and adversity every single day. And when it's there and you're in front of it, it's like, oh my God, does this suck? Why did this happen? Why do I have to deal with it? But it's all about perspective. And just that one little perspective shift that you had at the bottom of that staircase, that one day changed the trajectory of your entire life from that point. Absolutely. And one of the last things uh, that, I wanted, that I wanted to make sure that your listeners hear um, is that, you know, the, it's, it's, it's hard, okay? And where, where I've gotten myself to, to this day is is seven and a half years of, of, of that better every day, building it. It didn't come overnight. I've had people come up to me and say, I was so inspired by your post or I was so inspired by, by what you were doing that I went out and I ran 10 miles and the next day I got hurt. Well, <laughs> that's not taking, that's not taking the small steps. So I want people to understand that it, it, none of this comes overnight. Um, if they truly, they truly want to achieve um, a change or, or achieve a certain goal. It is about commitment. It is a lifestyle change. It is the consistency and the commitment that you have to put into that change. It's not, it's, it's, there's no magic pill. There's no magic sauce except commitment. Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. To me, when anybody ever asked me, what's the, the secret sauce? What's the magic bullet? Like, you know, if you could share one thing with me, it's like, it's consistency. That's it. It's really simple. Just keep doing it every single day. Um, and the, one of the reasons, the other reason that I'd asked this question, and it's the, the first time that I'll be mentioning this to my audience publicly, um, but they've been so supportive. Everybody listening to this has been sending me emails and social media messages and everybody has been so excited about my journey to get on American Ninja Warrior. Um, and I found out just this week that I did not get the call. Um, and even though I feel in my heart that I'm ready for American Ninja Warrior, American Ninja Warrior is not ready for me yet. And the way that I have faced this is I basically gave myself 24 hours to be really annoyed and pout and pissed off and eat my ice cream and be like, oh, this sucks. I've worked so hard for this goal. Why didn't I get it, right? So I said, I'm giving myself 24 hours. I can be as pissed as I want. I can be as pouty as I want. I can eat crap. I can be sad. And then I woke up the next morning and I said, all right, how do I use this? How does this not become my obstacle? How does this become my motivation? Right? So then I think to myself, all right, it happened. This is now part of the journey. How do I write this into my story? And now I'm moving forwards. And that's exactly what you did as well. And that's really what I want to leave people with is if there is a playbook for overcoming obstacles and adversity, it's how do you accept it, take responsibility for it and move forwards, knowing that this is the way that things are, right? And I think you are the perfect example of all of that, which is why I'm so appreciative that we had the opportunity to get this conversation on the record and I could share it with my audience. So unless you have any further parting words of wisdom, um, I cannot tell you how appreciative I am that we were able to chat today. And you know what? I'm, I'm so glad uh, for the opportunity and glad that we had this opportunity. My last words of, of quote unquote wisdom, and you, you hit it right there, actually. And, and this is one part that we didn't talk about in my story is tell your story. Okay. doesn't matter who's listening. doesn't matter how small your audience is. doesn't matter how big it is. Tell your story. You never know who's listening and you never know who you're going to inspire and never know who's going to move, who you're going to move. For me, telling my story and opening up uh, my diagnosis to the world is definitely one of the biggest drivers um, to know that people are behind me, to know that people out there are listening and that I'm not alone. I am not by myself in this journey and that I have a support system 
out there. And it all started with me just telling the story. Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more, which is why I started a podcast and a blog and everything else. So I, I started with my own day one years ago with my own disabilities and said, you know what, it can't just be me. So I'm going to start talking about it. And that's how I ended up here today. So uh, I, I wholeheartedly concur and think uh, anybody that's out there, you know, you can find a way to tell your story and share it with others. Because I guarantee whatever you're going through, there's one of the 8 billion people on this planet are going through those things as well. So it's, it's virtually impossible to be alone in whatever you're dealing with. So absolutely. absolutely. Um, so if people wanted to dig deep, learn even more, find out what you're doing, um, what events you're at, what your social media is, what's the best place to find you? So they can find me on my website, uh, thefoxninja.com, T-H-E foxninja.com. Uh, and there's links to my social media, but it's essentially on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, it's just at JC Fox Ninja, and they can find me there. Awesome. Well, I cannot thank you enough once again for taking time out of your day to share your story with me and with my audience. Absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed this interview with motivational speaker, American Ninja Warrior, and Parkinson's research advocate, Jimmy Choi. If you'd like to access the original show notes, simply visit optimizeyourself.me slash episode 67. And thank you again for listening to all five parts of this five-part inspirational podcast series. I will talk to you soon. Take care and be well. One last thing before I lose you. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you subscribe to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'm even going to send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me newsletter, and I will see you in your inbox.